Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Brad Myers. He's the founder and CEO of Rev Methods. I am really excited to have a conversation with him because he is really focusing on how can we maximize engagement with buyers. There is so much data and insights that many times gets lost between marketing and sales that like there's just an opportunity to do it different, doing better. And, and what we know now more than ever is there's so many data signals available that those companies that get how to capture those and really turn them into insights to have better conversations are going to win in the future. At least that's my opinion. We'll see what Brad has to say. I have a hunch he might agree with me. But with that said, I'm going to pass it over to Brad, have him give a little bit of history and background about himself and tell us what he's doing over at Red Methods. Brad, all yours. Jeff, thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity yeah. to speak with you. I happen to be a huge, huge podcast listener. I probably listen to 15 or 20 podcasts, <laughs> episodes of, of different sorts every week. Yours actually being one of them. So awesome. I'm, I'm truly honored to be on your show today. More excited to have you. Thank you. I guess a brief background on me. I am the CEO and co-founder of Rev Methods. We are an engagement intelligence platform. We help B2B companies create more conversations, generate more pipeline, and close more deals from all the rich, valuable engagement signals that marketing is generating and sales is generating and client success is generating. But unfortunately, it's all siloed in that revenue tech stack. And if you think about it, every B2B deal that you win has a trail of digital engagement that led up to it, right? It's not like purchasing bubblegum in the checkout oil. These aren't transactional type things. So our goal is to help improve that go-to-market efficiency of the revenue team by taking all that disparate data, unifying it, identifying relevant signals and insights, and then spoon-feeding that to the commercial team so they can generate more revenue. I guess maybe like you, sales and marketing alignment has been a passion of mine. Like I'd probably put a stake in the ground back in 2006 when I was at the corporate executive board, which is now Gardner. I joined to launch and lead the mid-market program for marketing leaders at mid-sized companies. It was called the MLR. So my audience were chief marketing officers at mid-sized companies. And the idea back then was to repackage all the great content and research that my sister program had done for large companies, CMOs. And there was a ton of great research, but there was probably one glaring gap that we had to fill pretty quickly after we launched this program is mid-market priorities. When you talk to a CMO at an earlier stage mid-market company, priority one, two, and three all had to do with sales and marketing alignment. Yep. It was topics like lead gen, or we call it demand gen now. It was lead scoring. It was collateral and sales enablement, all the things, product marketing, all the things that a mid-sized company has to just get a lot more tactical about. So I really had to lean in, and that's probably what was the genesis of my interest in sales and marketing alignment. And after CEB, it led me to join Sage as Sage Software, which is accounting software for mid-sized companies where I joined as a VP of marketing. And I found myself, my job was to take new products to market. So I was all involved with Sage was trying to, bit of a long and a tooth incumbent 
a software company. I was part of a turnaround and we were trying to launch a number of new SaaS companies. So my job as the VP of product marketing was to launch these products. And so I was at the crossroads of sales and marketing to the point where I started building my own sales teams within the product marketing function. I would wow. like cherry pick the best salespeople to take these products to market. And we were having such success that my head of North America said, why are you sitting over in marketing? You should be in sales. <laughs> and I'd like you to go build a team in Atlanta with 45 people. And I want to stand up our first direct selling team because Sage had historically been a partner-led organization. Okay. So I learned a lot about channel conflict <laughs> in that process because I was the tip of the spear. But that's kind of how I ended up in sales. I started in kind of marketing that I ended up in sales. I kind of backdoored sales leadership in that way, yeah. building teams. And then over the last seven years, I've been working more with early stage Series A, Series B companies as a chief revenue officer, and more recently as a fractional chief revenue officer. Because I guess I love bringing order to chaos. I love building teams and taking them to market. And ultimately, it was this role where I'm overseeing sales, marketing, and client success that led me to this idea of Rev Methods. Yeah, I love that. We share a lot of common viewpoints, especially when it comes to, I really have throughout my work focused on mid-market for that very reason, back in my consultant days would have interest from large organizations. And I always kind of push back because I said, when you get to a, a billion dollar organization, aligning sales and marketing either is deprioritized or it feels very different. It's you're managing through hierarchy. You're, it, there's a cultural shift. It's just very different. And I think the ability to understand and feel what a dysfunctional sales and marketing relationship is much more salient in a mid-sized organization. And it's much more business critical because you just don't have enough going on in order to hide the fact that these two functional silos exist and that things aren't getting done the way they need to get done. So 100% love that you have that background. The other thing that you mentioned, and I talk about this in the book in a very rudimentary way, and this is very much more a sales thing than a marketing thing, but like looking at closed one deals, even closed lost deals, what happened? And then let's learn from that and then tweak our strategy or our process, whatever that is. And so it sounds like you're doing that in a much more eloquent way with like data signals and that sort of thing. But the conceptually, it's like I've worked with organizations where what they thought was working, when you really looked at the deals they were closing, that was like, these actually don't match. <laughs> That's right. Like you're closing deals in not your ICP and that fundamentally to me is a problem. So love the background and what you're focused on and a lot of parallels between the two of us. Yes, definitely. So in your mind, I'm going to speak very macro for the beginning of our conversation. We're most revenue teams getting it wrong right now when it comes to actually driving revenue. There's a lot of pressures in the marketplace, especially with the economic conditions and uncertainty, that sort of thing. What are some of the things that you're seeing that are red flags that to say like, look, you guys got to figure this out? Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, it's a good question. Relatively speaking to say 15 years ago, I think we're leveraging data a heck of a lot better right today than we used to. So I think the longitudinal view is we're getting better in part because of all these amazing technologies that we now have access to. Like back when I started, I think we had a I mean, CRM and we eventually <laughs> had a marketing automation tool and that's it. They didn't speak to one another, right? Yeah. Now we've got, if you've seen those graphics, we've got 9,500 logos to choose from, right? And then it's sales and marketing tech stack. Yeah. And then conversational intelligence and sales automation and all the rest. But in absolute terms, I think that's part of the challenge is yeah. revenue teams were drowning in data right now, right? There is so much data in the marketing tech stack and all those yep. adjacent tools and in the sales tech stack and in the CS tech stack. And we're really struggling to separate what I like to say is like the signal from the noise. Okay. Right? And it's kind of the flip side of the coin of why we're doing well, what we're doing relatively better earlier. It's just gotten so complex 
And all these tools are creating and capturing a ton of relevant data to their specific use case, right? Marketing is capturing prospects are researching the website or engaging with emails or attending webinars. Yeah. Sales is capturing engagement via email and the phone conversations. And if you're a product-led company, you're capturing the signals of a product, right? But they're all incredibly valuable nuggets of information, right? And I guess one of the frameworks I like to say is they're really good today at telling us what happened, right? The tools that we have at our disposal, we're Mm. capturing the what's, right? But we're missing the mark to your question. And where I think the opportunity is to improve is to try to synthesize these what's into the so what, right? How do we take all this disparate information and synthesize it into a so what? And then ultimately a now what? Like, what do I do with this now? So then do you feel that data is one of the top limiting factors in organization really accelerating or are maybe optimizing the revenue? Would that be a fair statement? It's one of, I mean, I think there's a whole lot of other things as well, including sales enablement and scripting and challenger-esque type conversations and training. But I definitely think data is one of those places that there's a lot of opportunity to leverage both what we have and what we, I think, should have, but don't have today. Yeah. Because, and the reason I ask that is that you have all of these, what is the MarTechs, it's probably the MarTech 9,000 by this point. I know Scott Brinker, I think he just updated it. So I know it's definitely over 7,000, but we'll just say 7,000 to be safe. So you have all these great tools. You have all these platforms. Obviously, you've an amazing software. And the reason I ask is that an organization really can't take advantage of those if they don't have a handle on their data. Like you can't get great output from any software, no matter how amazing it is, assuming you take AI out of the question, if you really don't have that kind of a cohesive picture of data across sales, marketing, customer success, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's kind of where my question was coming from. It seems to me that organizations are struggling to get the data piece right versus even going to the next level of like really being able to synthesize across organizations. So I just wanted to kind of get your idea of what you're seeing as far as like how our company saying we have a data issue. Like what's step one of saying we've identified it, now what do we do? Right. Well, I think the rise of the RevOps role is kind of indicative of that. I think companies are organizationally at least committing to the fact that, hey, we've made all this investment in all this technology, right? We've made a lot of investment in marketing the website and the various campaigns to go gather more data, more customers and all their engagement that's associated with it. Yeah. How do we start mining this information to drive greater go-to-market efficiencies? And, you know, the RevOps is the individual that's meant to wire these platforms together and help deliver the analytics to make better decision-making. So I think, at least organizationally, we're spending more time, money, and effort to figure out how to maximize that opportunity with the data. Okay. Now, I am biased about marketing's I think responsibility to sales, and that's not to say that sales doesn't have a responsibility to marketing, but I think one of the things I also see is that sales is becoming more challenging. This is related to just the data signals, right? Like there's so much coming at sellers. I know you talk somewhat in your work around like how marketing can contribute to adding more fidelity to sellers' insights into accounts. Tell us a little bit more about like, what do you mean by that? Or is your organization also helping with that? Because I think it's a big thing. Like you're expecting sellers to know everything and to have personalized outreach, but They're having to do all of that themselves. And while that's a part of selling, if that's majority of your time, are you really able to sell? Right. No, it's a good question. I think the first thing that marketers could do to kind of help out sales 
would be to value. Well, let me take a step back. If you're in sales, what does a typical salesperson say? They say, "Hey, marketing, we need more leads. We need more leads." Yes, right. And what they mean is, we want more people that are clicking on that high intent demo request button or contact sales button or whatever you've labeled it. Right. That's what salespeople love. Right. Yep. And yep. maybe going back to the what, so what, because the so what and the now what is perfectly clear to a salesperson. They don't have to burn any calories figuring that out. Someone wants to talk to me. I'm going to call them. Yeah. Right. But when you look at the data, and I've looked at the data across a number of our tenants, it's fewer than 20% of all the signals that marketing is capturing okay. are high intent signals. Right. The vast majority, and you, you make sense, of yeah. the signaling that's getting captured in your HubSpot or your Marketo or your Pardot are what I think people typically call low intent signals. Yeah. Right. They're things like, white paper download or a page view visit or a webinar registration, right? And yep. I think those signals are valuable, but they're hard for a salesperson to know what to do with. What's the so what or a now what related to a white paper download? And I think we therefore kind of just put it to the side and think it's not very valuable. I think a big opportunity for marketing is to recognize that those are not low intent signals. They're okay. unknown intent Things. We don't know what's going on there. If you look at some of the Gardner research, they'll tell you that 60% of the buying journey is complete before they even click on that high intent signal. Yeah. So a big chunk of those quote unquote low intent signals are actually prospects doing research and trying to understand how you might be able to help them. And so when I was a fractional chief revenue officer, I would tell my team, hey, pretend you're at Nordstrom's. What happens at Nordstrom's? You walk in and someone walks up to you and say, how can I help you today? Uh -huh. Right? You can walk away and say, I I'm just looking at my partner shopping, what have you. But oftentimes you're like, I got a wedding on Friday and I need cufflinks or I need a black belt. Yeah. Right? And I think there's an opportunity for marketers to look into those low and or unknown intent signals and work with sales and think of it more as the helping is selling. Have you heard that concept before? The Drip CEO talks about it, that helping is the new selling. Like there's a big opportunity there because a lot of those people, and I've seen it, that's what led to this idea. A lot of those visitors are, they're not all new to worlds, right? Marketing is spending all this time, money, and effort trying to drive traffic to their website. It's typically always targeted at the same people. There's a lot of repeat visitors. There's a lot of people that have spoken to sales before, former prospects, former clients, they've been through a demo, they might have used your tool before. And we do ourselves a disservice in marketing when they download a white paper, we give it 10 points and then we bury it. But it turns out that was a former prospect that we talked to six months ago. Yeah. Right. And we don't have the tools yet, or I would say the love language to communicate that to a salesperson effectively. And I think that's where the opportunity is for marketers to collaborate with sales is how do we take more advantage of all this rich information that we're capturing and analyze it and spoon feed it in a contextual way so that sales can take action, not just throw it over the transom. Yeah. So that's interesting. So what are your thoughts on like, how would I signal to a seller that this particular person who downloaded this is a part of an organization that already bought or like, how can we be able to stitch that together for them? Because to your point that make it loss if it's a, it could be somebody that just joined the team or it could be, how do we do that? What have you seen work or like, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the default device or method that we do is kind of the MQL lead score, right? That is the way that we try to communicate relative value to a salesperson by assigning points to a thing. 
what I'd like to get to is we're not sharing scores, but we're sharing context, right? I think the value of that signal is comprised of at least three things. Like one, I would say is what was the content that they engaged with, right? I worked for a legal tech company before. Sometimes people engaged with assets related to depositions. Like that is something, like that's a little bit of information. Somebody is at the deposition stage of a case. That's great reason to reach out to it. Other times people would download something around trial. So the piece of content matters. The second thing I think that is valuable, is there any form of, what's the context of the relationship with that particular person, right? Is it a former prospect, a former client, a current client, a member of a buying group, right? How do we do that? And there are ways to technologically lift this up. And then the last thing, which is would be the timing dimension of it. Like, did this just happen today, this morning, six months ago? If marketing can get better at sharing context, I mean, we're storytellers, right? That's our job. And I think we do a great job of telling stories externally, right? And messaging to the market. We seem to drop the ball when we need to start telling stories internally. And it only behooves us to figure that out because, again, how many marketers are, are struggling with, hey, what's the ROI? What's my contribution to revenue? Yeah. The more white papers that we could tie back to revenue, like the more efficient we'll be and the stronger our case will be to get more funding. Yeah. I've always said for many, many years that marketing is terrible at selling themselves to sales. Like I've been in so many instances and I had the benefit of coming from sales. So I just always had a very different approach by virtue that I spoke quote unquote sales. Um, But many times you talk to sellers and even VPs of sales and they don't understand the value of marketing. And it doesn't mean that marketing is not doing a good job. It just means that they have not done the internal kind of storytelling sales campaign they need to demonstrate that what they're doing has a direct impact in helping sellers sell more effectively, more efficiently, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a skill set that or more attention needs to be paid to it. Yeah. And maybe to illustrate it, at my last client, he was a successful bootstrapped SaaS company. So bootstrap means we didn't have unlimited funds to go blowing on on, on No money. (laughs) <laughs> no. And in fact, when I joined him, he was hesitant to spend money on marketing because he had, as he said, seven years ago, I spent hundred grand on Google AdWords and I got eight clicks. And you know, just not worth it. And I That's said, well, let's, try, let's slow down. What's that? That's not marketing. That's right. That's right. I said, well, that was eight years ago. I knew a rock star agency that can help us out. And I will commit that any signals that we start collecting will start slow. We'll double down where it's working. And I will commit to really trying to understand that. Because again, I've always been passionate about the sales and marketing dimension. And kind of my anecdotal story, which I think is true at every single company, it was during COVID. I just put the kids to bed. I made myself a Manhattan. I was sitting in front of the fire. And I said, let me go look and see what the day's activities were in HubSpot. And I saw somebody had hit the pricing page. And because I had been with this client long enough, I was like, oh, I know that account. And so I looked over in Salesforce, so jumped to a different tech stack. I'm like, that's right. We quoted this guy 50 grand 18 months ago. We thought we were going to close it. And then he ghosted us. And then I click, click, click. And I looked into the activities and I noticed that sales hadn't talked to him since. But for some reason at four o'clock in the afternoon that day, that guy had visited our pricing page, right? So I slacked my sales guy a message and I said, Hey, Jeff, remember this story? Give him a ring in the morning. Well, two days later, we closed it for 45K. And if you looked at the HubSpot score, it was plus 10 and we buried it. And this is happening all the time because that guy was still in our like typical outreach efforts, right? With with the marketing efforts. So marketers are regularly bringing these people back to the table. We just got to get better at 
again, separating the signal from the noise and spoon feeding this, these insights over to, over to sales. Because they will take action. And that's not a score. I didn't, it was the context that led this right. job. And I think what's important to note is sales didn't have to burn any calories in that case, figuring it out. You just gave like, it to them. I just gave it to them. I spoon fed it. And I think that's a key thing. Because if you think about what a lead score is, it's a boiled down amalgamation of lots of different variables into a number. And for a salesperson to figure out and unpack that requires burning calories and expending energy to try to say, is this even worth it to me? Right. And so they don't. Because you know, time is money. Time is money. Yeah. Yeah. That is the point. There, I think there's just a ton of opportunity to rethink how we're handling all this rich, valuable data that we're collecting all the time and spending a lot of money gathering. Yeah. And it's leakage. It's revenue leakage. We just got to establish processes to, to capture it. And then I think that's a great metaphor for it. It is it is revenue le- leakage that is due to the inability to cap. Well, we're capturing the data signals, but synthesize them into insights that we could take action on. I think that's the missing piece. So from a rev method standpoint, like high level, how are you guys approaching helping clients, helping customers, helping businesses solve this problem? Like what's the methodology and like, what are you proposing for people to do differently than they're currently doing. Yeah. Well, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that the lead score is going to exist, right? It's perennial. Like I think it's well, like a- one question before you fully answer this. Yeah. It kind of died a little bit on the vine, but I might bring it back. Do you believe we need to kill the MQL? A little controversial question I thought I'd throw in there before you finish your statement. Yeah, well, it's definitely a popular thing that I like, and I'm <laughs> guilty of it as well for posting about it on LinkedIn. But yeah, my absolute view is absolutely like we need to kill it. I actually think it does a huge disservice to marketers. Like its intention is to be this love language between the two teams and communicate value. And I think it just backfires terribly. And so it's you're trying to improve the relationship. And in fact, it, I think often just pours kind of on the fire. Of tension. I'm probably going to have a whole episode on that. I don't want to yeah. real what you were talking about, but as you said that, I thought about, I was like, I got to sneak this one in just to see what Brad thinks about this. The M- well, there's MQL. a number of reasons why, yeah. right? I mean, it's totally arbitrary and unscientific. Yeah. It's just completely made up weights, right? There's no science behind it. Even if that's the first step, rarely is it ever recalibrated outcomes. You rarely go and say, okay, here's a bunch of closed deals. What led up to it? Maybe we should reassign weightings. Like that would right. at least make it a little bit better, but I've never seen a company really do that effectively. Places no value on timing and urgency, right? So mm-hmm. how often, and this is one of the things I think sales gets really pressured by, dumps a bunch of uh, quote unquote MQLs with 450 points. And they look at it like, well, they capture all these points over like three years. Like there's no deprecation that took place. Over time. Right. right? So uh, the numbers only go north, right? They never come south. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, it just bloats the value of the score. Yeah. They lack relationship context, right? So they don't, you don't really give scores to use those examples before. If you're a former prospect or a former client, your score should go way up. Like that's yep. the context that caused the salesperson to jump. But lead scores typically are about the event and the asset, right? That's it. It's a really good point. They don't take into account buying groups and how many of us are dealing with buying groups today. Right. So you should get more points if there's this slow growth of people from the same buying organization. Like the next one that enters should get a higher score to kind of point it out. Mm-hmm. It's not captured in it. Multi product context. Like you sell multiple products if you're a bigger company. Really, the score should be at the product level, right? Because you could be a terrible score for one thing and a great score for another. For something else, right? Scores typically don't do that. And for all those reasons, like therefore sales just doesn't find a lot of value. And so I just think we need a better 
way to do it. And I think the tools are gradually forming to allow us to get there. All right. So net net, Brad is killing MQL. Okay. <laughs> this, I think I'm going to add this question to every every episode yeah. that is relevant with somebody that probably has a marketing POV. It's but, definitely a popular uh, thing to say, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize. I, I derailed you there. So you were talking about rev methods and your approach to helping deal with this revenue leakage that we talked about by virtue that we're capturing these signals, but we're not really synthesizing them and actually actioning on them. So I apologize for going left a little bit, but I think it was good that we talked had the MQL conversation. At a high level, and I don't want to go too deep on like red methods per se. I'd rather stick to like a high level content. But what we're trying to do is, and I think one of our ahas is we've spent years and years trying to connect these data systems, the sales forces with the HubSpots, with the gongs, with the and we sync the data back and forth, but we constrain ourselves by these endpoint platforms and how we present the data. Because again, I think the challenge isn't that we're capturing data. It's the so what? How do we synthesize and present the data, right? So that's what we're trying to solve is how do we leverage all this rich, these rich data assets that we're capturing? How do we unify them in a central warehouse? And what's great is there's just this convergence of technologies that have emerged in recent years. There's the data warehouses and data lakes, right? Big data. There's now open AI and chat GPT to analyze that data. It's allowing us to actually leapfrog in ways that were previously unrecognized, right? So what we're trying to do is take these disparate data sets, unify them in a lake, right? And transform them. So we understand that Peter is doing this in marketing and Peter over here is talk to sales over here. And Peter might be part of your product led group bring that all together so we get a fuller view of who Peter is, right? So that when he comes back in or one of his colleagues comes back in, we can connect the dots and use generative AI in a really creative way to look into that data and then spoon feed an insight to a salesperson that they can take action to provide that context, basically, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I think it's also important that we be thoughtful of, and as somebody that, and it sounds like you have the same experience, have been on both marketing and sales, should be, I should say, have been in both marketing and sales. The way in which you serve up those insights and that data is different. I was in a presentation many, many years ago and the marketing person got on stage and was talking about all these things they did to increase conversions and all this, like marketing, like science, like stuff that we would have all geeked out in marketing. And then it was just in the presentation and I could see the sales folks in the room, like, so what, like, what's the, so what for us? And so I, many times we have to just be thoughtful of what they should have started with. And especially coming from sales, I know this, you start with why you should care. We have found a way to help you X, Y, Z. And here's how we did it. And then that is a better way to get salespeople engaged to really like walk into the process. We're doing that's great. But that punchline is there. So I say all that to say is that we can't present those insights to your point to marketing the same way we present them to sales because we're going to action on them differently. And so, you know, 100%. you know what I mean? So it's almost like a macroeconomic professor and a microeconomic professor in a way like there you I go. think of marketing as more a macro. They think that the portfolio level of accounts, Correct. it's impersonal, but sales needs to personalize, right? Sales needs to understand how do I, what's my angle with right. this particular person? Exactly. So all those little discrete things give them that resolution so that they can do it. It's what a sales manager does in a one-on-one with the salesperson. When a deal stalled, they're like, all right, let's pull up your CRM. Let's, when's the last time you talked to them? What did you talk about? Have they engaged with anything before? Are there other people? The problem is that's a heavy lift to do, right? So what our, I mean, that's actually what my MVP was called was, we called it Brad in a Box. 
because Brad the human was sending those Slack messages, like I told you about, hey, <laughs> and I was like, can we automate this so that it kind of behaves like a sales manager in a box that it just looks at all those those events and constructs the so what and then spoon feeds it to a rep so they know what to do so they don't have to burn any calories figuring it out. But you bring up a really good point, especially for marketing leaders that are listening and many may know this, but your ability to be able to create a holistic view of the customer, the individual that's around sound of how they're engaging with us, what content have they engaged with, what part of the organization are they with, potentially what buying group were they a part of, how are they connected to other people, that is super valuable to a salesperson. As a marketing leader, I don't necessarily need to get that granular. It's not, to your point, burning calories. It's too much. It's too much fidelity. But if we're not giving that to salespeople, th- it's got to get done somehow. And just throwing throwing leads over the fence, so to say, there's more work to be done for salespeople. And to your point, they get to a point where the investment in their time is not worth it because they're like, I could be on the phone or sending emails or doing a demo, et cetera, et cetera. Right. This is also where I think third party sometimes hits the wall with sales when you talk about third party data. Uh huh. Right. I mean, I think third party data is great for the marketing side of the house, right? Because you're understanding who's out there like doing research deep in the dark funnel. And it, it allows you in kind of that kind of macro way to kind of turn your cannons on them and try to ferret that individual out. Maybe they'll raise their hand and reveal who they are. But in the meantime, you're at least targeting everybody at that email domain. Right, that right. account, right? right? Third party data is not helpful to the salespeople typically because again, a, they have to burn calories trying to figure out, well, who is this person from apple.com that I need to call? Mm-hmm. I need a name. I need to be dealing with first party. I need right. someone that has opted in and revealed who they are. And that's where I think the opportunity is for, again, for marketers is there's very little talk. And I, first party, third party may be the wrong way to frame it. Maybe the way to frame it is visible and invisible. Okay. Like marketers need to focus on like their data with first party data, what's in their HubSpot, what's in their, that's, I mean, data that they have acquired, right? Oftentimes a customer has opted in and revealed who they are. Oftentimes that means they've given you permission to track their behavior. Correct. Right. Now that I'm looking across tenants as we bring on new clients, I'm shocked at how blind B2B companies are. And a good way to check that, that. a good way to check that is look at how many records, customer records you have in your HubSpot or your marketing tool, and then filter by how many of them have a last page seen as known. Yeah. It's like 5%. But this gets to why we as an industry, B2B, and I shouldn't say industry, but B2B because it's across all the industries. And we try to make sure we're talking to multiple industries. So it's not just SaaS, it's not just industrial products, not just healthcare. We struggle to provide the same type of customer experience as B2C because B2C has so much rich data at the individual level that it's hard to do that on the B2B side of the house. If to your point, you're just working with blind data. So it's just kind of, what do they call it? Spray and pray. And you create these very generic journeys, these very kind of generic, like we think these are the buying phases, which many times, unless you're in the account or understand how they work, or I don't know what the percentage would be, but they're stereotypically not exactly how that buyer buys. Right. And so a lot of it's just guessing. It, it, it totally is. But I think more energy and what I try to encourage the marketers I talk to is focus on that. You want a KPI for next quarter? Let's benchmark how much first party data you have today. How many people are visible? Okay. 
let's keep trying to grow that quarter after quarter. How yeah. do we do that? Progressive opt-ins, like progressive ways to get people to gradually give you more. That's a B2C play, right? To progressively oh. try to capture more and more information. Another huge gap, and this is I'm seeing it now that we've unified the data, sales is having great conversations with people. They're having email exchanges. They're getting them on the telephone. You have a relationship with them. But if that prospect hasn't just randomly filled in a form at some point, you have no idea if after the sales call, they went to your website and looked at your pricing page or came back two days later. Like yeah. we need to figure out how do we make that visible to us? So let's, and so we have some two thoughts things. on that. We're, we haven't built it yet, but we have some thoughts about how we might be able to use technology to get people to reveal, to enrich that experience. Cause that's a huge gap for us as an industry. Are you able to talk on that one? Cause I want to dig into that one a little bit. Cause yeah, I mean, that's at a very high level right now, but yeah. it's yeah, 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 conceptual. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, but conceptually you're right so the two things that came out of that that i really want to dive a little bit into is like that that miss between the sales and marketing again sales is having conversations or having engagement marketing is not capturing that one and then the second one would be and we'll talk about this afterwards is how as an organization if i've identified i need more first party data how do i start to make that transition from third party to first party so let's kind of talk about that the chasm between the marketing and sales interaction with the prospect and how there's lost data in between there like high level what are some ways in which or how like how is Rev methods thinking about that super high level, right? Like this, we're not getting tactical quite, but. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because we were just talking about the macro and micro and with macro being marketing, right? And marketing yeah. needs to be more empathetic and understand that sales lives at the micro level. Like they need a personal 24 right? seven. So that's them stepping in the direction alignment wise of sales. I think sales would do themselves a lot of good if they put on a marketing hat and realize, okay. hey, I'm having this conversation. It's going really well. I don't want to use the word Shrek because that's not what I mean. But how can I, what tactic can I deploy to get that individual to give me more information uh, so that mm -hmm. I am able to do what a marker would do and track their behavior after that? Because it's going to come back to me. It's going to be like, even if I don't close it on this opportunity, right. six months from now, that person might come back. And I want to be able to recognize that. So yeah. Some tactical things that are not us, but I think are interesting. I've seen some really front of the boat teams come up with like a deal room concept. Okay. So after a sales call that goes well, the sales guy says, say, or a woman said, hey, after this call, I'm going to populate a deal room for you where the documents that we're talking about and a couple other assets that might have come up on the call are going to be housed. And I'm going to send you a link. So you have your own custom like deal room. And when they click, that's like a form conversion. You now oh. can follow them everywhere. Like that's an interesting tactical way. Okay. It's just going that extra 10%, right? right? Because it'll pay off in spades later if we start enriching all this information that we have. And the other thing I would say is usually my guess is the people that sales is talking to typically are the decision makers. Mm -hmm. They may not be the ones that are downloading white papers. Many times they're not. Many times they're not, right? Yeah. So again, there is a disconnect. So how can we maybe even rethink and brainstorm how can sales in their interactions leverage the technologies we have, or as we're talking about, build some new technologies to get those individuals to reveal themselves and enrich the resolution that we have yeah. on our clients. Because in a previous podcast episode, and I won't say which number because I don't know when it's going to hit, but we talked about the fact that it's important to really be thoughtful about that prospect's role in the decision buying group. And to your point, that person at the forefront is not always doing the research. It's not always, they're probably getting the highlights or the executive summary, 
but they may not be actually going in and clicking or it's being shared internally. And so we're not capturing because we don't see it. And so you have to be thoughtful of like just assuming that they clicked on it and they know what's going on and that sort of thing. So it's just another layer that we talked about, which is really important beyond just kind of what their role is as far as like I'm CMO or I'm the CTO. What role do they play in the buying group? Are they the person that's going to be the naysayer and really get into the details and blow everything up at the end? So do you need to start talking to them now in order to get them in a line just to avoid that derailment at the end? Like all those sort of things that become really, really important, but aren't always captured in the data. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think you're right. And that's that blind spot that we have. I think our collective goal as a team is how do we keep making that blind spot smaller and smaller and smaller? right? And how can we both contribute to that? And how can we leverage technology or get people just be more intentional knowing how we capture that data? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shift to one of my favorite topics, CRM. I know it's my favorite topic, but I feel like we need to talk more about CRM because the way in which we can get value from it has drastically changed from what it was meant to do back in the day. So I read your article that recently published in Destination CRM. And so you talk about the how organizations can use AI to pull out more value from the CRM. It was a fascinating article. I won't steal the thunder of what's in it, but can you share at a high level what you mean by that and encourage people to take a read? Because I think it was a really great article that made me think differently about how AI can really, I would say, unlock and maybe even, like we talked about before, help us to fill these kind of revenue leakages from the pipeline. But wanted to share your thoughts. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I There's been a lot of buzz from a lot of the big incumbents, Salesforce and HubSpot and others. I'll choose Salesforce just because they're such a biggie. Yeah. Fairly recently and now, or they've always had the data cloud, but from what I understand is they're really making a big push to to create this. What's interesting about that is I think in the big picture, it's starting to almost subordinate this CRM platform. Mm. In other words, I could see a future to get futuristic of we're going to be engaging in more ephemeral ways with our data that CRM and the marketing are going to be these endpoint tools that are going to be feeding this brain, right? This data alert or data cloud is what Salesforce is calling it. Right. And it's from there that we get this kind of unified view of the customer from all the different sources. And we're applying AI at that level to extract revenue, which is, I mean, this, the AI stuff has, I think that article was written 12 weeks ago, 16 weeks ago. So much has changed already (laughs) within the AI world. And it's still relevant. It's a great article. So I don't want to mention, but to your point, yeah, this is still holds. I just think the AI, this is what's so exciting about AI is that I think it's allowing us to, to think differently about like, how can we extract these insights from all this unstructured data that we have. That's how I look at it. Right. And part of the challenge in the old world is you had these rigid endpoint tools. Some of them called themselves platforms like Salesforce and others. But what they do is they force you to throw all their data in there. And then they force you the only way to get it out is through an iframe, you know, on the opportunity object or the contact object. It was not a very easy way to synthesize data. I think now that we're getting this point with data lakes and big data and AI to act, like we're liberating it all, right? And we're also kind of democratizing it in a way as how easy AI is to use. So it's a super exciting, I think, time in this space. It's both invigorating and it's also kind of scary. I was going to say, this is also kind of scary. I mean, I I totally agree with you, but it's also kind of scary and kind of one like personal 
thing I am excited about, like I obviously play, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it played with chat GPT and that sort of thing. And a lot of people are using it and becoming experts at it. But from a research standpoint, it allows you to get all of these different sources that you may not have come up on super quick. So like if you're doing, like if we're doing research for an article, or we're doing research for a social media post. I mean, I can get five articles and, you know, HBR and, and maybe Aberdeen Group and Forrester and Gartner that I may not have read or may have forgotten about, like I did read and forgot about it. And so for me, that's really powerful. You know, our overall theme of kind of synthesizing these insights, you're able to identify like these are the five resources that you need in order to produce a good article on this topic. Boom. And I can ask it to do whatever it wants to, but at the end of the day, I need to know about the topic, but it does allow me to then even pull out one of those articles and reread it again to refresh my knowledge and understanding. So yeah, super powerful. Yeah. Also a little yeah. scary. Very scary. Very scary. But exciting in this context, because I mean, imagine if you could apply AI to your own kind of data. Oh, cloud itself 100 is, is just tremendously powerful and valuable yeah so for those listening and stereotypically we have b2b ceos head of sales head of marketing who is a rev methods customer how would they identify or what things should they be looking for to say like we're that particular person let's reach out to brad oh i appreciate that so i think this is a universal challenge i think companies large and small have this because i've spoken to public company cmos and yeah and CROs. But in the near term, we're focusing on kind of early to mid-stage tech companies like Series A, Series B, where they have some kind of an inbound marketing motion, right? Where they have enough like signals coming in in support of the sales team. Okay. Right. So, and typically marketing has either implicitly or explicitly committed to some pipeline number, right? Okay. I need to do it. So our hope is that not only can we help sales create more pipeline out of signals that they're currently are leaking over the side of the table, right? That they're missing. Yeah. But we can help marketers improve the ROI on their efforts in doing okay. so and get these two teams to work more players. So B2B, maybe say five to fifty million in revenue, inbound okay. motion, typically a rev ops function because yeah. they care about their data that I notice that's a signal. And I know this is today your focus, but is conceptually what you're talking about also applicable, helpful for other industries outside of SaaS? And the reason I ask is selfish. We really want to make sure we have a holistic conversation across all verticals and all industries. I think there is a lot of opportunities for what I call legacy industries. So industrial products, manufacturing, that sort of thing to really kind of, I would say, leapfrog and completely transform their business. And I know that's not your people, so to say, but... Yeah, no, no. I think the principles are the same for that as well. I have okay. talked to large pharma companies have this issue. Okay. I know that firsthand, and I think a lot of them are working on it. Industrial companies have it as well. So again, anybody that's kind of a B2B, they have a sales team, marketing's trying to feed them with leads and kind of provide that fuel. Okay. And that they have some content. And I would say even the more history you have, the better. Because right? yeah. you have all this rich customer data. How do we now kind of transform and unify it and mine it for those insights? Yeah, super helpful. Brad, for those listening, how can they get in contact with you, learn more about you, connect with you, reach out if they want to follow up on anything that we talked about today? Oh, I appreciate that. Well, you can reach me at my email, which is simply brad at revmethods.com. You can also go to our website, revmethods.com and click on any of the links and you will get me. Awesome. I love it. Well, I partly created the podcast selfishly because I love having these conversations and I find that I learn something new and I learn even a new like language, so to say, every time that I have these conversations. So I love the idea of kind of how are we capturing this revenue leakage? I thought that was really, really cool that we talked about and obviously some of the other topics around just data 
really the companies that are going to be successful now and moving forward are really going to have a grasp on their data and be able to use it in a way that gives sales and marketing deeper insights and help us get more intimate into customer interactions and all that sort of good stuff. So I think it was a super helpful conversation. So for those that are listening, if anything that you know Brad and I talked about, I encourage you to reach out to him and learn more about Rep Methods. I really appreciate the time. It's been really fun. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show. And thanks everybody for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.